This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing the use of over-the-scope clips to decrease bleeding from non-variceal upper GI bleeding patients versus standard endoscopic therapy. With us is Dr. Jennifer Kolb, Assistant Professor of Medicine in the Gastroenterology Division at the VA Greater Los Angeles Healthcare System and the David Geffen School of Medicine. We'll be discussing her recent review of an outstanding randomized control trial comparing over-the-scope clips to standard endoscopic therapy for high-risk patients with non-variceal upper GI bleeding, which was performed at the Prince of Wales University Hospital in Hong Kong and just published in April 2023 in Annals of Internal Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Kolb, and let's just start by discussing, do GI docs need to learn about over-the-scope clips? Why is this important to understand how they work for the management of non-variceal upper GI bleeds? Sure. Hi, Phil. Nice to be here again with you. GI bleeding is, of course, the most common reason for hospital admission for GI consult service. This is upper GI bleeding, especially non-variceal upper GI bleeding, is a frequent admission, and typically it's from peptic ulcer disease or inflammation, gastritis, esophagitis, or some angiodysplasia. And we've been treating upper GI bleeding for years with pretty much the same approach. The use of diluted epinephrine can be applied as well as thermal therapy through the scope clips. And really only in the past decade since I went through training do we have some new additions to our armamentarium. And over-the-scope clips are really an exciting new area, and there's been tons and tons of studies using these for all kinds of things in the GI tract upward bleeding, lower bleeding, fistula closure, but you know today we can focus on their use for upper GI bleeding. And the reason that these clips are so unique and offer potential advantages is because they're mounted on a clear cap outside the scope. So they have much larger jaws and they're sort of a claw-like clamping device with a very large opening between the jaws. So it can really capture a lot more tissue and it can also exert a significant amount of compressive force. So as you might imagine with a sort of fibrotic ulcer and a big pulsatile vessel, this clip may give you sort of more tissue capture and force compared to a through the scope clip. There's been tons of prior studies on these and even a few good RCTs looking at these as primary and secondary therapy, but they've all been very small studies. And so I think the jury is still out on sort of where these fit into our algorithm for GI bleeding. And that's a great transition to discussing in this specific study. This is really a definitive randomized control trial to address the use of over-the-scope clips that overcomes the limitations of those non-randomized trials that have been published or the very small randomized trials that have been previously published. So here, they took 190 patients who specifically had a pulsatile lesion with active bleeding or oozing from a visible vessel. So that's considered forest 1A or forest 1B. 
or a non-bleeding visible vessel at the time of endoscopy for their upper GI bleeding. And those patients were randomized to either Abbott managed with an over-the-scope clip or standard endoscopic therapy. And it was at the discretion of the endoscopist whether they wanted to use hemoclips or contact thermocoagulation with a heater probe or a bicap device and could use pre-injection of diluted epinephrine before they applied the bicap or the hemoclips. And all patients were then followed for 72 hours on intravenous IV PPI. The primary outcome was a composite endpoint of failure to control bleeding at the time of the upper endoscopy and development of recurrent bleeding within 30 days. And recurrent bleeding had to actually be consist of fresh hematemesis or melana associated with hypotension or tachycardia or drop in hemoglobin acutely and have endoscopic confirmation of fresh blood in the GI tract on urgent repeat endoscopy. So it was either you failed to control the bleeding initially or you definitely confirmed there had been a clinically important bleed. Now what they found in these high-risk patients with Forest 1A or Forest 1B lesions or non-bleeding visible vessel, that they did do better with the over-the-scope clip specifically for that primary endpoint of a 30-day probability of further bleeding. That was only 3.2% in the over-the-scope clip group versus 14.6% in the standard therapy group. They specifically noted that they failed to control or achieve hemostasis at the time of endoscopy with the over-the-scope group in only 1.1% of patients, whereas in 6.2% of patients who got uh, standard therapy, they could not control the bleeding and they actually had to switch over to using it over the scope clip. As far as recurrent bleeding at 30 days, that occurred in only 2.2% of the patients who originally got the over the scope clip versus 8.8% who are getting standard therapy. Clearly, this was beneficial, although I'd also note there was one instance of a pyloric obstruction when an over-the-scope clip was applied to an antral ulcer, and there were some episodes where they could not properly deploy the over-the-scope clip. So I think this really brings it back to you, Jen. I wouldn't necessarily say we want to use over-the-scope clips for every single non-variceal upper GI bleeding case. On the other hand, for very high-risk lesions, it seems like these were beneficial. So what do you recommend to our listeners? What do you do in your own practice? Yes, I totally agree that they're probably not for every case. If I had to think about, you know, a typical case where I'm going in and I'm looking for a lesion, if I see that, you know, there's a visible vessel, it's something that I think I can really take care of with our traditional approaches, then that's usually what I'll go to. But if there's a really, really big, big vessel, you know, poking out from a ulcer, maybe in the posterior duodenal bulb, something where I'm worried it's in the GDA territory or something where I'm already thinking during this case, hmm, this is a really high risk of rebleeding, or you know what, I may want to let IR know about this case going into the night, then I would probably just reach for my over-the-scope clip right off the bat and not really wait for that to be a case of 
refractory bleeding. And that's just because I, I do think that they provide a little bit of extra effect when you use them up front. Having said that, it has to really be in a position where you feel like you can place certain scenarios or enroll patients because if you can't see and position the scope with this cap in a way where you can really deploy the over-the-scope clip, then, you know, it's a no-go even from the start. So I guess I'd say anytime I think it's a really high-risk lesion or I'm even anticipating they're going to have to go back on an anticoagulant within a few days and I'm worried about rebleeding. And then besides peptic ulcer disease, I think with a dulafoy, if you happen to catch one of these bleeding in the stomach and you find them, these can be a pain to re-identify at a later time or they can re-bleed. And so when I, when I see them, I, I often reach for my OTSC in those situations as well, just because I think they get a little bit more tissue capture and they'll go, go deeper. So remains to be seen, you know, I don't use these all the time. Cost is an issue, but I definitely think that we should be thinking about these in primary cases. And just a note for listeners that these do require a little bit of training to know how to use them and the indications, though they are fairly easy to learn. So I would encourage anyone who's interested to definitely pursue this. I think anybody uh, can really pick this up as long as you work with somebody who can show you how to deploy them. I think that's a critical issue. Now that I've seen the results of this study, I'm going to our advanced endoscopist in next week and saying, you need to teach me how to use an over-the-scope clip. I think based on this data, I need to know how to utilize it. And I'm going to look for opportunities to practice with my colleagues in their cases because I'm a general gastroenterologist, whereas you're an advanced endoscopist, and this is part of your training as an advanced endoscopist. But this study really shows that if you've got a posterior duodenal bulb ulcer that's not amenable to our primary therapy, or maybe a big ulcer on the lesser curve, or as you said, a dulafoy lesion, then as general gastroenterologists taking care of bleeders, we should understand how to use this. Absolutely. You'll have to send me uh, some pictures of your first case. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be terrific. And as you said, I think the other caution here is some additional training is important because these clips take up so much tissue that if it's right around the pyloric channel, you could cause an obstruction that you could actually get a perforation, cause a perforation as you do it. If you don't appropriately deploy the over-the-scope clip, although that's a very rare occurrence, but a little bit of training, a little bit of uh, teaching is probably going to be very important for all of us to learn about how to use these clips. Agreed, agreed. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Jen, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. 